We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson There are a number of synonyms that help us to understand what it means to be faithful. Terms like steadfastness, staunch, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, to be faithful. And then there is a biblical description, to some degree, of what it means to be faithful. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, at verse 35, God talks about raising up a priest And he said that this priest would be one who would do according to what is in my heart and my mind. And I look at that verse and I think about the application to us. What does it mean to be faithful to God? I think it means to be true to our commitment, to honor the commitment that we made when we became New Testament Christians, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what He says, and to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to His name. There are a number of things that we could say about faithfulness, and I want to talk for a minute or two about some of the demands of the faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? What are the demands that God has imposed upon us as His people? I mentioned a moment ago, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35, and what God said about one who would do what is according to his heart and his mind. And I think about the strong allegiance that we ought to have to Almighty God. I'm reminded of what John in the Revelation said in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, when he said, Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. So some of the demands imposed upon us as the faithful of God. First of all, I would suggest that there's the the demand to be faithful to the Word of God. Think about that for a minute. There's the demand to be faithful to the Word of God. There are a number of passages of Scripture that enforce and reinforce this concept. When Jesus began His earthly ministry... We have a record of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And you remember Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus began his public ministry by emphasizing the importance of honoring the commands of God? On one occasion, Jesus asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus would say that if we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. And then John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, said, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. There is a correlation between faithfulness to God and honoring His Word. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, said, Hold fast the form or pattern of sound words which you've heard of me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is a pattern, a blueprint that we are to follow. 
that we are to adhere to. And we're to hold fast to that blueprint, those documents. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. And he said, Continue in them. For in so doing, he said, You'll save both yourself and them that hear you. And so there is the demand to be faithful to the Word of God. And we could ask the question, Are we faithful to what God asks of us? When we read and study His Word, when we meditate upon His precepts, do we internalize them and make them a part of our lives? You remember the Apostle Paul said, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's not enough to read the Bible, but we're to make application of it, to live it out in our daily lives. And I would also point out that John warns in 2 John 9 that those who go beyond the teaching, the doctrine of Christ... He said they're on perilous waters because in essence they become severed from that relationship to God. He said whosoever goes onward abides not in the doctrine of Christ, he said has not God. But those who abide in the doctrine of Christ, they have both the Father and the Son. That is, those who honor not just the teaching about Christ, but the teaching of Christ. And then there is the demand... To walk with God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 5, we read about one of the bright patriarchs of the past, a fellow by the name of Enoch. It was said of Enoch that he walked with God. I think about somebody who enjoyed fellowship, communion. He had an association with Almighty God. He walked with Him. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abel is commended for his life of faith. I mentioned a moment ago that when we obeyed the gospel, that we were signing on to service in the body of Christ. We were saying that we would be faithful until death. The Bible tells us that when we obey the gospel, that we're married to Christ in Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Because we have been married to Christ, that means He deserves our absolute allegiance. Those of us who are married... We understand the implications of being faithful to our spouse. And many of us, when we exchange vows, we sit in the presence of not just our friends and family members, but in the presence of God, that we would be faithful until death, didn't we? So my question would be, what, what would make it any less binding when we become a child of God and are said to be married to Christ? That we're not saying that we're going to be faithful until death. There are a lot of folks that have not honored their marriage vows. And they are guilty, as you well know, of adultery. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Did you know that if we fail to honor the Word of God, and if we're not walking with God, that we can commit spiritual adultery? If we align ourselves to the world and the things of the world, then we become guilty of spiritual adultery. James said, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. He said, whosoever would make himself a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Imagine people at variance with the God of heaven, the creator of the universe. The dangers of the world spelled out by John in 1 John chapter 2. When he described the world as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. 
And he said, the world passes away and the lust thereof. But those who do the will of the Father abide forever. Those who become affiliated with the world, who hook their wagons to the world, are buying into a system that will not prevail in the end. As a matter of fact, the world and all the things associated with it will go down in smoke. And so, be faithful in our walk with God. And then there is the demand to be faithful in our worship to God. I want you to know that I appreciate the decision that you made tonight to be here. I think that I could speak on behalf of the elders. That they're grateful that you made the decision to come tonight. And by and large, it's the same ones that are here every Sunday night and every Wednesday night. And I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you have chosen, as Jesus said on one occasion, the better part. You've chosen something that far outweighs the world. I know you could be home watching television. You could be home reading a book, reclining, enjoying life, doing some other things. But you chose to be here. And that's significant. You came because you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus said, if that's the case, the promise is you'll be filled. You came because you had a desire to worship God, to lift up your voice in song to God, to pray to God, to study from His Word. I want you to know that I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you come every Sunday night. I wish I had the magic words to get some folks to come back on Sunday night. And maybe sometime... Someplace, something will be said, and that light will go off, and they'll decide, you know what, I need to be here, or we need to be here. But we'll press on, and I'm grateful that you've chosen to be here. Because the early church, according to Luke in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. That's worship, the breaking of bread and prayers coming together on the first day of the week, collectively, and bowing in the presence of God and honoring Him. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In the verse that precedes what Jesus said in verse 24, when Jesus talked about those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth, He said, the Father seeks such to worship Him. God desires our worship. He wants us to come before Him. You recall the Hebrew writer admonished some of the saints in the first century because they were not coming to worship regularly as they should have. And then there is the demand to be faithful in our work for God. What does it mean to be a worker for the Lord? We sing the song sometimes, I want to be a worker for the Lord. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 that we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good work. The Lord has created us to work in His kingdom, hasn't He? And so I think about how as those who belong to the body of Christ, we are identified by Paul as individual members. There are many members, but Paul said there's one body. And just like the human body has many members, and all of those members have a part, take away one of the members and the body as a whole suffers by the same token. If we're not all pulling our weight and doing our share, then the body suffers, doesn't it? Is God interested in me being involved in the kingdom? Think about it in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus talked about the final day of judgment. You remember? He talked about how the Son of Man would come and be seated upon the throne of judgment with all His holy angels 
And he said all nations would be gathered before him. And then he said that he would say to those on the right hand, I was hungry, and what would you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. Sick and in prison, and you came unto me. What were they doing? They were ministering. Is worship important? Absolutely. But it's just as important to be involved in the work of the kingdom, isn't it? Talk about acts of benevolence, as Jesus outlined in Matthew 25. The Great Commission. Sharing the gospel with people who are lost and dying in sin. What Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, is still good scripture. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then he went on to say, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who believes not shall be condemned. In the book of Titus, Titus talks about, or rather, in the book of Titus, Paul talks about, to Titus, the importance of being involved in the body of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 7, he said that we are to show ourselves as a pattern or a blueprint of good works. In verse 14, he said we are to be zealous for good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul would say that we are to be ready unto every good work. It makes me think about a friend of mine many years ago who is now deceased, and he was a great, great man, an elder in the church, faithful member of the church, always out visiting, always out trying to teach others the gospel. Many occasions he would call me and want to, want to go visiting. And whenever we would talk on the phone, if I would call him and ask him, are you ready? He always invariably said, I'm sitting on go. That's the way we ought to be. And that's what Paul is saying here. Be ready under every good work. In other words, you're on go. In chapter 3, verse 8 of Titus, Paul said, be careful to maintain good works. There is an overriding theme in the book of Titus. That overriding theme is be involved in the work of the kingdom. When Jesus comes, will he be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? Because after all, that's what we are, servants. Jesus came and took upon himself the form of a servant. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. And Jesus would ask the question, is the servant greater than his master? If Jesus came to serve, don't you think he intended for us to serve? Peter said he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So we are to serve. And then there is the demand to be faithful in our warfare to God. Whether we realize it or not, as Christians, we are involved in spiritual conflict. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The warfare that we're involved in is spiritual in nature. We're fighting against the devil and his cohorts. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in about verse 18, Paul would tell us to wage a good warfare. If you're a child of God, whether you realize it or not, you're a soldier. That's what the Bible says. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on life eternal. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul encourages us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to withstand the schemes of the wiles of the devil. The devil comes at us 24-7, doesn't he? And so when the devil comes against us as our foe, as our adversary, what are we supposed to do? Fight, resist, aren't we? 
James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And again, Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. I think sometimes Christians have the idea that we can just float through life and not have to worry about the devil and not have to worry about temptation and trials and tribulations. Some Christians are pacifist, spiritually speaking. What the Bible says is you better be ready to go to war because the devil's trying to get your soul. That's why Peter said, be vigilant. He said, be watchful. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so in verse 9 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter, he would say, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. And there's one of the terms that is synonymous with faithful. And then thirdly, what about the destiny of the faithful? First, there is the perseverance of the faithful. In Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, Jesus said, be faithful until death. Now there are really two things I want to share with you along these lines. First of all, we are to be faithful until death and we are to be faithful unto death. There's a difference there. When we talk about being faithful until death, we're saying that when we face the trials and tribulations and heartaches and sorrows and ups and downs and highs and lows in life, we ride those things out, we endure, we persevere, we stay faithful to God until the very end, don't we? A good example would be Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he talked about how the time of his departure was at hand. He said, I'm already being offered as a drink offering. But he could say in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. What Paul was saying is once he signed on as a Christian, his allegiance was to God and to God alone until the very end. And Paul knew death was coming. But Paul understood that he had to be faithful up until the very end. And the Lord Jesus is saying to us that we better be faithful until the very end. In Matthew chapter 24 and about verse 9, Jesus talks about those who endure to the end shall be saved. We're in this thing for the long haul. Now, as we face the ups and downs of life, is there going to be some turbulence, some difficult times? Are there going to be occasions in life when we stumble and fall, we're not what we ought to be? Yes. When we do, though, rather than just giving up and throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, I just quit. We get up, we dust ourselves off, and we say, we're moving forward. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? Sometimes the devil tries to discourage us, doesn't he? One of his greatest tools is discouragement. And so when we succumb to temptation, the tendency among some is to just give up. But John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said, My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. That's God's ideal. But he said, If anyone sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And what John is saying is that the Lord Jesus is standing before the bar of heaven and he is pleading our case before the Father. And the basis upon which we stand pure and just in the eyes of God is what? It's the blood of Jesus. I mentioned a moment ago our walk with God. John said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
That means that as long as we are walking in compliance with the will of God, His blood is constantly working in our lives. It's not this idea of save today, lost tomorrow, save today, lost tomorrow, but there is this continuous relationship, this ongoing relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus and with God the Father. So we're to be faithful until death, but then we are to be faithful unto death. That means we are to be faithful even if it costs us our physical life. I read recently about an individual talking about this very subject. And the question was posed, if you had to give your life for the cause of Christ, would you? And the writer talked about the fellow that was asked the question, hung his head. And his response was, I know what I ought to do, but I can't say what I would do. You see, it's one thing to talk about being faithful and staying true to God and not wavering, not buckling under pressure or duress. It's one thing like Peter, you remember the Apostle Peter when Jesus told him that he would deny him? Peter said not only would he not deny him, but he would die for his cause. What did Peter do? He buckled, didn't he? It's easy to talk about how faithful we would be in a room like this free from persecution, not worried about somebody coming along and hurting us physically, mentally, emotionally. It's one thing to talk about being faithful in the face of death when those who are being put to death are thousands of miles away. But what if we, I'm talking about us, what if we were confronted with death? You remember not long ago, the fellow that went on a rampage, and he was asking young students, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, what did he do? Executed them. What would you do? I think what the preacher wrote about, or what this fellow wrote about, the young fellow that was asked, what would you do? I know what I ought to do. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I would hope and pray that I would have the faith to say, let's get on with it. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you remember he talked about how he had been unwavering in his commitment to Almighty God. You have to understand that the time is about A.D. 68, and Caesar Nero had ramped up his persecution against Christians in about A.D. 65. And so now as Paul writes to Timothy... Paul understands, look, death is absolutely imminent. I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. There were no deathbed recantations on the part of Paul. No backing up. No wavering. Absolute confidence. Fearlessness. So Paul could say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. In about A.D. 68, historians say that the Apostle Paul was beheaded by Nero. I can't imagine going to a guillotine and placing my head down and knowing what's coming. But he did. We're living in difficult times. We're blessed in this country beyond measure. And we want freedom to reign, 
not just for us, but for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I was talking to somebody this morning, and we were talking about the times in which we're living. And I said, you know, it may not be that the country in which we're living changes that dramatically in my lifetime or in his lifetime. It might be the case that it won't change that dramatically in your lifetime, but our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, what are they going to have to look forward to? Times are changing quickly. I've said on more than one occasion, this is not the same country that I grew up in. It's a different place. And so much has changed. And so what, what we have to understand is we have to be faithful unto, unto God until death and unto death. In Revelation chapter 6, John talks about those that had been martyred for the cause of Christ, for the testimony that they held. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, the Bible speaks of those who loved not their lives unto death. And I think what John is saying there is, if it meant dying for their faith, they were willing to do that because they loved the Lord, they loved His cause, and they were willing to die for what they believed in. So the perseverance of the faithful. You have to understand, though, that there is a link here. We are to persevere, but there is a promise. What is that promise? Listen to what Jesus said. Be faithful until death or unto death. And he said, I will give unto you the crown of life. What he's saying is that one day, those who have been true to him will be rewarded. Again, think about what Paul said. He said, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. James talked about some of the obstacles that we face in life. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. God has promised us a crown, hasn't he? In the original, it's the Stephanos, the victor's crown. That is, those of us who have lived for God, we are victorious in the end. Read the book of Revelation. You have Christians that are being persecuted. You have some that are being martyred for the cause of Christ. And John is writing to those people, and what he, what he is saying is, you hang on. Don't give up. Because in the end, God's people, it may not look like it, but God's people will win. So when Paul neared the end of life, and listen, six years before Paul ever faced physical death, he could write to the saints in Philippi and say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. In Philippians 1.20, he could say Christ would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. For Paul, it was all about the Lord. If he lived, great. If he died, even better. Because he understood there was a crown of righteousness waiting on him. And the beauty of it is, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said that the Lord will give that crown of righteousness not Righteousness, not just to Paul, but to all who have loved his appearing. When Jesus talked about his imminent departure, the fact that he would be crucified, raised from the dead, ascend back to heaven, in John chapter 14, and you can just imagine what was going on in the minds of the apostles. And so he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
But he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I close tonight by asking this question. Are you faithful? Not a hard question. You're either faithful or you're not faithful. You're either in the body of Christ or you're out of the body of Christ. There's no neutral gray area. It's either faithful or unfaithful. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I want to encourage you to put the Lord Jesus Christ on in New Testament baptism. Because you see, if you'll do that, the promise is the Lord will wash away your sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. He'll add you to His body, Acts 2, verse 47. And you need to be in the body because Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. And then if you'll be faithful until death, again, as I said a moment ago, doesn't mean you're not going to face tough times, doesn't mean that everything's just going to go your way. There are going to be good times and bad times, highs and lows, peaks and valleys. The Lord will be with you and He'll see you through till the very end. One thing is for sure, God will go with you, won't He? You remember what the Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? If God's on our side, we can win. We can get home. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.